All right. So tonight we are at the end of our series and we're in First Thessalonians and we'll be looking at the final benediction of First Thessalonians from chapter five, verse 23 to 28. And, and what we're going to see in this passage is Paul's final exhortation to this church. Now, we know about this church, as we have covered throughout the series, this, this church is, uh, this church was a, a young and, and vibrant church, right? And we, we, we know that this church, their testimony spread across the land, and, and they're known for their faith and their love and their hope, and, and, and their testimony was a great testimony for Christ. But at the same time, we also know that this church was suffering persecution, right? They, they were... They were persecuted by their own countrymen, um, and, and, and they faced hardships because of that. In fact, some of their own members die, and we don't know if they die because of persecution or not, but, but, they're, but, but they're suffering, they're, they're, they're grieving. And, 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 and what we see here within this church is kind of the reality of, of what we all face. Right? We, we cannot separate the two. We're, where there is faith, suffering is always involved. Faith and suffering goes hand in hand together. And scripture attests to this. Right? And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 67 tells us that God uses trials in our lives to strengthen our faith. It's saying that the trials of our life, they're like sandpaper, slowly eroding away, wearing out the rough edges of our faith and making it into something beautiful. And so it's in this context then that, that Paul writes this letter and here in this final passage, he, he's, he's giving his final exhortations. And, and we know that throughout this letter, Paul continues to give the Thessalonians instructions. He, he teaches them, he, he encouraged them. And, and, and when we read through this letter, we, we saw this phrase over and over again where, where Paul says, you already know this, right? He's teaching them something that, that they already know. And, and, and the reason why he's doing that, the reason why he's repeating himself and reinforcing his teaching is because he wants to encourage them to stay on course. That they have started off so well. He's telling them, don't stop now. Don't, don't, don't turn back at the first sign of hardship. Keep going. Continue forth. And if there's a theme, there's one thing that can summarize First Thessalonians is this, is to remain faithful. Remain faithful. And, and that's my goal behind this message tonight. Just to encourage you from the heart, to show you the heart of Paul that, that he has here for the Thessalonians, to, to remain faithful. And to remain faithful, and for us in this context, we, we, we know that it's probably difficult to remain faithful, right? In this context now, when we're, what is it? Are we like seven months into this shutdown pandemic situation now? It's, and it's, it's kind of become like our, our natural reality, right? Some of us, most of us kind of have our routines now. We know which restaurants are open. We know where we can go to. We, we kind of have our daily schedule down. We, 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 we have a face mask, you know, waiting by the door for us to, to go out with. Well, I don't. I keep having to be reminded by my wife to take my face mask out. But we know that this time is, 
is difficult. This time is difficult. And, and for some of you, for some of you, you faced this difficulty early on. It was really hard for you to adjust to this new life and you're frustrated. But there, there are others of you who might be feeling kind of that burden of difficulty now because perhaps you started off this quarantine period, this thinking, you know what, I can go, I can get through this. But now after several months, you know, we don't know when this will end, you're starting to lose hope and, and your willpower you know, is weakening. And so, and so I just want to ask you, where are you today with your daily walk of life? Where are you today? My encouragement tonight to you is, this, is the theme of this letter, remain faithful. Remain faithful. And that's what we'll see in this final benediction. And there's two ways that Paul here encourages the Thessalonians to remain faithful. And, and, and that's what we're going to see here. So there's two points. First is to remain faithful confidently. And the second is to remain faithful courageously. Let me go ahead and read the passage for us. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 28. This is God's word. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So the first point I will see here is to remain faithful confidently. Remain faithful confidently. The, the, the full point is this, is to remain faithful confidently because God is faithful to keep you to the end. And that's what we see here in verse 23, right? Paul here, he's praying. He's praying to God. And he has two specific prayer requests to God. The first thing we see here is that Paul here prays that God, the God of peace, will sanctify the Thessalonians completely. And we've seen this topic of sanctification before in this letter. Right? Back in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes that this is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants us to grow in holiness. So what is then this, this sanctification? What is this word? What does this mean that God will sanctify us? Well, sanctification, this definition, um, it's, it's a process. It's a process of growing in Christ-likeness and and if you read into the theology of sanctification, which I'm not going to get deep into right here, there, there, are, there are different kind of stages of, of sanctification. But I, and that stage starts, it starts with salvation. Then there's this process of growing in Christ-likeness, which is called progressive sanctification. And then there's this final sanctification at the end, when, we, when our inner self and our outer self are fully perfected in Christ. What Paul here is talking about is, is the middle portion. He's talking about this progressive sanctification where we're growing. Well, while we're here on earth, we're growing in Christ-likeness, growing to be more and more like Christ, to be 
conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God saved us. He saved us as sinners, broken vessels. But he saved us so that we can become like Christ, become like his Son. So that's the first part of Paul's prayer here. The second prayer that we see in verse 23 is in the second half where he says, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Here Paul pretty much rewords the, the first prayer in a different way. He, he talks about us being kept blameless, meaning we are found righteous. We are found holy when Jesus Christ comes back that we will remain faithful to the end. And this coming of Jesus Christ, we covered it a lot in our study in 1 Thessalonians. It's the common phrase used by Paul to refer to the second coming of Christ, to the time when Christ will return to judge the world of their sin, to judge all people for their sins. But in that time for believers, we will be found blameless. It will be a time of salvation for believers. Now, there are two key words in this prayer that I want us to focus upon. In verse 23, it says, to sanctify you completely. And it says, may your whole spirit and soul and body. And, and, and these two key words, they're completely and whole. And, and, and the NASB, I believe, is translated as entirely. And, in, and if you have the NIV, I believe it's translated as through and through. That, that God of peace may sanctify you through and through. And the single word whole, the NASB translated as complete. And I believe the word order is a little bit different in the English translation for the NASB. And, and, and what, what these two words, they're actually put together in the Greek text. And, and they're, they, they both mean the same thing with different nuances. It's, they're both talking about this completeness, this wholeness. But the first word, the first word here speaks about God sanctifying you wholly in sense of the in sense of your entire person, and that the sanctific the sanctification process will leave no stone unturned. Every part of you will be touched by holiness. All of you will be sanctified. The second word here talks about the the perfection of sanctification, the, the completion of sanctification, that that we will be that every part of us that's part that's that's being put into the sanctification process will be made perfect and complete, full of integrity, that all that, that there'll be no defects in this. Right? Like that God's work will be will be without blemish, will be pure. Now, when we take a look at this verse, and we see here that Paul talks about the, the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now, now there, there are Christians out there, there are, there are scholars out there that will look at that and they'll say, you know, Paul is saying that the human uh, persona is divided into three parts. Um, and, and, and they'll talk about things like that using this verse as a support. And, and just to be clear, I don't believe in that. I, I see more of the human body being compared, or the human I guess persona, persona, the human person is composed of two parts, the inner self and the outer self. Um, but really, we can't even separate the two parts, right? It's, it's this weird mix, this 
this complex mix between the two, a unified mix between the two. But what, but what Paul here is, what he's trying to say here is that every part of us, every single portion of our lives, every area of our lives, every piece from our fingernails to what we watch on TV, everything will be sanctified and be found blameless at the coming of the Lord. God's sanctifying word will touch every area of your life. He will bring it to full completion. And that's what Paul here is saying. That's what he's saying here in verse 23. And so the reality of, of this prayer is this. Are you ready to be sanctified? Are you ready to witness the work of God's grace upon your life? Are you ready to put your entire life through this refining fire? Ask yourself. Which part of this present life do you still cling on to? Which part of your life are you unwilling to give up that, that you're afraid of what will happen if God actually sanctifies it? Think about it. Perhaps it's your hope for a good job, a lasting career, and perhaps it's hope to have a family. Perhaps you're having trouble trusting God with your finances. Or maybe it's trusting God with your physical health. Paul's prayer here is that you will be sanctified completely and wholly. This means that every part of your life will be touched by God. He will use what you value most, what you fear most, what you work hardest to keep intact. He will take those areas and he will sanctify you so that in the end, you will be found blameless. Paul, Paul in this prayer, he's encouraging the Thessalonians to remain faithful through their struggles and their persecutions, their trials, because that is the goal of the Christian life. It's to live for, to live for Christ. When Paul says to live for Christ, when Scripture says to live for God, to glorify Him in this present time, is to endure to the end. But we know that's not easy, right? We know that in this fallen world, temptations are before us all the time. We struggle with our shame and our guilt and, our, and this, this, this flesh that we feel is, is so weak. And many times we feel like we just can't do it. And many times we feel like it's, this is just really hard. It's, it's really hard to keep our eyes focused upon Christ all the time, especially when the world is flashing for your attention. We, we can echo with, we, we can say the same thing as that scripture says, that, that you may feel that your spirit is, is willing, but your flesh is weak. But you know who says that? Who says your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak? It's It's Jesus. Jesus says that because he himself understands that. He himself became human, the son of God, perfect. He understands what it means for our spirit to be willing, but the flesh to be weak. But even in his moments of weakness, Jesus endured until he reached the cross. Your spirit may be willing, but your flesh is weak. That's exactly the point of Paul's prayer here. Read now verse 24. It says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely 
do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful. God, the God who calls you, the God who says you are saved. You are justified because you believe in my son. The God who's began your sanctification process, the God who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. What that means is that whatever trials and temptations you may face now, they're not meant for your downfall. They're meant for the sanctification of your faith. These trials are not to make, these trials are to make you stronger, but not in yourself, but in God. He, God, will surely do it. And when you read a sentence like that, so short, so simple, God will surely do it. And isn't this the kind of assurance that we all long to hear? That you want to hear from God, especially when things get tough? For instance, if you were going through a medical procedure, right? Wouldn't you want to hear your doctor say to you with absolute confidence, don't worry. I will take care of you. Don't you? Doesn't that just comfort you? Doesn't that give you confidence to go through the procedure? That's not making any light of the procedure itself. It's still going to be painful. But to know that someone has you in their hands and they say they will take care of you till the end. That's what God is doing here. He will surely do it. How many of you need to hear these words from God today, from the God of peace? Because let us be honest about the realities of sanctification. It's hard. It hurts. Sanctification forces us to come face to face with our weakness and our shame. Like God is poking holes in areas of your life where you thought you were strong, places you thought you were safe. And God is simply exposing just how fragile your world really is. And, and that hurts. And we know sanctification hurts. We know sanctification is hard. That our sins are many. And, and sometimes it feels like we're swimming upwards all the time, upstream all the time. And, and you're wary. You're tired. And, and, and sometimes you wonder if you can make it to the end. Hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus is, is that current in the stream that's pushing us, that's helping us reach our destination. And, and, and though your sins may be many, Jesus bore them all to the cross. He washed you clean with his blood. This is why we can remain faithful with confidence. We can remain faithful confidently because on the cross, Jesus declared his work complete. It is finished. And on the third day, when God raised Jesus back up from the grave, he raised him back up as a sign that sin and death has been defeated by the cross. And through that cross, Jesus saved you. And therefore, Jesus will keep you to the end. He will finish the work that he began in you. We have this confidence, not in ourselves, but in God. God will surely do it. And so remain faithful confidently because of God's 
power because of God's faithfulness to you. Then the second point that we're going to see here in our text is to remain faithful courageously. Remain faithful courageously. And, and if you read through this text, you might be wondering, where am I getting this word courageously from? I'm getting it from verse 28, from the word grace, where it says, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And many times when you think about grace, we think about it as God's gift of salvation. And, and that's true. God's grace, his, the grace that we see in Christ and God is a provision of his righteousness to us. And that gift of grace is free. That's wonderful. But the reason why we say grace be with you is because that grace applied to your life should lead to courage. Should lead to courage. Take, for instance, Psalm 56. In Psalm 56, David cries out to God because he's being cornered. He's being boxed in by the Philistines. And, and in a time of desperation, David cries out to God. And in verse 1 of Psalm 56, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. If we think about this, why does, God, why does David cry out to God for grace? How does grace help David in this time? And what we see here is that David, he, he's not asking for physical strength. He's not saying, make me like Samson all of a sudden and defeat these Philistines. He's praying for spiritual strength. And if you read Psalm 56, it's this great spiritual psalm that talks about David's trust in the Lord despite the trials that he's in. The grace of God carries David so that no matter what situation he faces, no matter what happens in his life, in life and in death, he knows, David knows, that God will take care of him. That is God's grace. You know, we, we see here throughout scripture actually that when every time when there's grace being given, it's meant to give us strength in times of need. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that Jesus will give grace to those, to help those who are in need. And we know the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when Paul is, is crying agony because of the thorn in his flesh, Jesus responds and says, my grace is sufficient to you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is meant to encourage us in a way that gives us strength. In a way that gives us courage to remain faithful to the Lord. And so Paul here writes in the last verse, and it's a common phrase throughout, throughout the epistles. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul here is saying, go courageously in the grace of God. And so then, how do we do that? How do we go out courageously in the grace of God? Paul here ends his letter with three instructions. Three very basic, very fundamental instructions. Three instructions that are means of, to help you experience God's grace and extend God's grace. And that's what we see here in verse 25, 27. Right? These, these are 
These are three things that, that we're all called to do. These, these are things that, that every Christian should be doing. They're like the, the three things that you always check for before you leave your house, right? Your keys, your wallet, and your cell phone. Or I guess now there's four things because you need a face mask all the time. First thing we'll see here is, verse 25, brothers, pray for us. We see here the need for prayer. And in the sense here, the prayer here is not just a cry for help. Paul here sees prayer as a spiritual weapon. Because Paul understands. He understands that his own trials, his own persecution, that as Paul is going from city to city, he knows that what he's facing, what he's facing is not physical attacks. They're spiritual attacks. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 4, Paul understands that what he's waging war against is a spiritual war. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And Paul here is talking about spiritual strongholds. And the weapons of spiritual warfare, one of them is prayer. Prayer. So Paul here in, in 1 Thessalonians, he asked for prayer from the Thessalonians. To pray for him. To pray that Paul will remain faithful with courage to face the battles that he's going to face. Are you asking for prayer? And are you praying for your brothers and sisters? You see, prayer is the essential mean by which God's grace can extend from you to the rest of the saints and vice versa. Prayer is a means to experience and to extend God's grace. As, as Paul prayed for these testimonies, and now he asks prayers in return. And, and for us, how often do we ask for prayer? Because asking for prayer is, is sometimes hard, isn't it? When we ask for prayer, it reveals an area of weakness that, that we probably don't want to expose. It, it, it shows us that there's something about our life that's not all put together and, and that there's this struggle that we're struggling with, perhaps even in our faith. But this is exactly why we need prayer. We need prayer in order to help us to remain faithful. Just think about it for a moment. Look back upon your own experience in life. How many of you have been so encouraged when a friend prays for you? How many of you have been strengthened when you know that your small group is praying for you? Prayer. Prayer is a means to experience and extend God's grace. Do not be afraid to pray or to ask for prayer. There's a second point that we see here in verse 26 is fellowship. Now Paul here says, greet all brothers with a holy kiss. Now, this is something that we sh definitely shouldn't do with COVID-19 go around. And, but what we see here with, is that Paul, Paul asks the Thessalonians to greet one another affectionately, to, to show affection, to show esteem, to show honor to one another. Paul here, he's not talking about a romantic kiss, so let's not take this out of hand and pull it all over the place. This, Paul here describes this as a holy kiss. Like this is this is a kiss done between saints, and and to give a kiss during that time is is a sign of esteem and affection. It's a greeting to show honor to your guests, to your friends. 
it's it's to sh it's to treat everyone with respect. Give a greeting to every saint, every brother. Just greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And, and so, and so, what here, Paul? He's he's saying treat everyone in the same way. Treat everyone with the same level of affection, right? Imagine if you were a person going around church before all this quarantine stuff happened, and we, you shook hands with everyone, but there's always a particular few who you give like a bro hug to, or you, or you just hug, and, and, and you give more than just a handshake, right? But Paul here is saying, let's give everyone, let's give everyone the same level of affection, and he's telling us to treat everyone as if they're your own brother, as if they're your own sister, as a close friend. This this exhortation here is, is for us to fellowship together with unity. That the holy kiss here is a symbol for our solidarity, of our stand together as one. It means that we know that as saints, as the church, we stand apart from the world. That this group of believers is unique and special. There's no relationship like that of between two believers. And again, let's think about how grace, how we can experience God's grace and extend God's grace through fellowship. How many times have you been strengthened because someone you trust is by your side? Someone you know who loves you, cares for you, is walking with you during times of trouble. God's grace extends out through our affection for one another. Right, just simply holding a friend's hand when they're panicking can calm their soul and give courage to those who are weak. And this too is a spiritual battle. Right? Sin, sin threatens the fellowship and the unity of the body of Christ. Sin always causes conflict, right? I mean. Just think about it, even small little sins may, may cause us to feel uncomfortable with one another. Imagine, imagine back when, you know, when we're serving church lunch on Sundays. And, and perhaps one time you cut in front of the line and, and this woman behind you yelled at you for it. And you ignored her. Then like months passed by and somehow you guys got put into the same team. This woman who yelled at you months before, put it together in the same team. But you guys never talked about that incident. Wouldn't you feel uncomfortable? If, if that was what was hanging in, around you, this unsaid confrontation that was just never resolved, even minor sins can cause a level of discomfort in the fellowship. And so the encouragement here is, is to reconcile, is to experience God's grace and reconciliation and to have the courage to, to unite with one another, to, 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 to forgive one another, and to see one another be bonded together as one by the blood of Christ, to be one in Christ. This is the power of the grace of God being experienced and extended through fellowship. Look around the Zoom call tonight. Scroll through the names. Are you able to greet each and every one of these brothers and sisters here with esteem and affection, with excitement and joy? And if there's one person you can't do that with, why not? Why not? 
here Paul's encouragement here in verse 26, remain faithful courageously. Do you trust Christ and his work of grace through his body? Do you, do you, do you understand that to actually have true fellowships require extra, extra grace? It takes courage sometimes for us to, to connect with one another. So fellowship with one another in this way to, to look past our differences and see our unity in Christ alone. Remain faithful courageously by fellowshipping with one another and experiencing and standing God's grace through that fellowship. And in verse 27, speaks about God's word. And Paul here writes, I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, Paul here, he, he tells them in verse 27, I put you under the oath. And this is a strong word here. It's a singular word. In the NASB, I believe it's translated as to adjure. And what this means is, is that God, Paul here is, is making a vow. He's saying, you are now under a solemn vow, a promise that must be carried out. Paul here is not fooling around. He's not writing this letter as, as just a pen pal friend, as, and he thought he might be nice if everyone heard it. He's saying this letter must be read to everyone in the church. Now, there, there's a few implications that we can gain from this, from this request. Uh, so, so first, the one implication that we get to, that we can see here is that Paul understood that his writings and his teachings were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right, the New Testament are all mostly letters, and and they and, and each author recognizes then that they're, what they're writing was Scripture. It was meant to be to be taught to the people of God. Second, we see that these letters were written for the church. They're not just written for leaders. It's not just the pastors who got them, the elders who got them. These instructions were meant for all the brothers, for all believers. And that's the reason why we encourage you to read and study the Bible on your own. It's not, the Bible is not just for pastors to study. It's for you to also hear, for you to also dig into, for you to also read. Thirdly, the th a third implication from this is that sitting underneath the teaching of God's word unites the church. We are bound together by these truths that God's word is what governs who we are, right? We imagine uh, it's an illustration of, of the United States, right? Every state may have, you know, their own little laws and state laws, local laws, county laws. But we, if you're being part of this one country, you're all being governed by the U.S. Constitution. And in the same way, all of us, the global church, maybe we may be living in different countries, different nations, and, and different every nation, religious freedom may be different. But there's one common ground upon which all believers and all nations can agree upon. That is God's word. It unites the church. A last implication from this verse. It's the importance of teaching and proclaiming God's word. Right? This follows an Old Testament practice where, where, where God decrees that the law will be read to Israel out loud. Right? And it's constantly, whether it's down the family every single day, every single week, or for the whole nation every seven years. 
The reason being is that we need to hear God's word over and over again to be reminded of his grace. We need to hear his word and obey his word. Right? Imagine this is like when, when, when an athlete in a sports movie is like, you know, he, he's, he's in this championship run and, and all of a sudden he's stumbling or maybe he's a boxer getting knocked out. And all of a sudden he gets this vision of his, of his coach. Most likely the coach passed away or something. And the coach points at the athlete and saying, I believe in you. You can do it. And, and suddenly he gets this strength. He gets reminded of what he can do. And he, and he goes off and wins his race. It's, it's like, it's like that. It's like hearing God's word and this, this encouragement that, that carries you week by week. To, to, know that, that, to know that God here is speaking to you through his word, reminding you of the amount of love he has given to you, reminding you that he is always with you, and to give you courage to remain faithful day by day, knowing how hard it is to do so in this fallen world. And so what we see here is that God's word is meant to help you remain faithful courageously. And again, how many times have you fallen into deep despair only to have a small glimmer of hope revealed to you through God's word? How many times have you fell into sin only to rejoice when you read in God's word that our God is faithful and his mercies are new every morning? God desires his word to be spoken so that we may have courage. Right? Take, for instance, the Great Commission. After Jesus sends out his church with the Great Commission, he says at the end, I will be with you always until the end of the ages. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And one way or and one way you can read throughout scripture, one thing that can pop out to you is, is that scripture actually tells us how Jesus will be with us, how God will be with us. When you read the scripture, scripture, one of the key things of scripture is telling us this very truth that God will be with his people and he will be for his people. We can go out into this world with courage because God is with us and for us. Nothing, nothing in this world, no situation, no trials we may face, no, nothing in this world can separate us from God. And so then in transit, our, our study, our study through First Thessalonians comes down to this, to remain faithful confidently and courageously. And as we think about what this means for us, and you think about what this means for you in your own life, you know, I, I don't have any general applications, right? This, this is a young adult fellowship, and but if we're honest to ourselves, we, we don't even know how to define young adults. Like, when do you stop becoming young adults? When, when is the next, what's the next life stage called? Is it called adult or is it called old adult? Like, what does that mean? And so I, I want to speak to you how, as, as I know you. As, and I don't know every one of you well, but as I, as I engage with different, with, with a few of you guys and just kind of knowing where we're at, I can tell that we're, we're all at, at a different stage of life. We're all struggling with different things, right? And, and some of you, some of you who may have been working from home for the past seven months and, and it's been hard because you no longer know the difference between your home life and your work life. 
and, and what happens is that every, everything starts blending in together and, and you find yourself more frustrated with work, less motivated, perhaps discouraged. Others, you are going through school and, and doing school online, man, I, I can't imagine how hard I must be. I mean, I, I know I'm in school too, but you know, my school, we're, we're all back in person, but, but to do school online is, is difficult. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to actually engage with professors, to know your classmates, to do group projects and, and all that. It's difficult during this time. Others of you may be discouraged because you can't leave your home. Perhaps maybe you're living with family members who are at that at-risk at stage and, and, and you're afraid of bringing COVID into the house. And so you've been at home this whole time and it's been lonely and hard. Others, you may have lost a job during this time and, and you're struggling to find a new one because, I mean, this market is, is a difficult market right now. Then there are others of you who may be going through family disagreements and, and it's been difficult to, for you to live at home. Or maybe you've been going through a recent breakup and, and it's been hard and hard to find, to find comfort during this time. I mean, in this group, we also have those who may be newlyweds trying to figure out life together in, in, in COVID. And, and there are others who are engaged trying to plan a COVID wedding. Then there's people doing short distance dating, you know, six feet apart dating. And, and, and then we have singles who, who wonder if they can find a date during this time. I know that life is difficult. And during this time, during, in, in this group, there are a variety of reasons, a vast variety of reasons why life may be difficult for you. So the encouragement here, encouragement here is that despite what's going on here, despite what's going on in our nations, it doesn't matter who you vote for. What matters ultimately is this. Are you remaining faithful to God? Is your convictions, your actions, your, your heart, when what you hope for and trust in, is it committed faithfully to God? Are you remaining faithful to him? Turn with me to, to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, I, just, I just want to, to show you just the, the hope, the assurance that we have in God, the reason why we can remain faithful confidently and courageously. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, starting in verse 9, we, we get this great short paragraph of why we can persevere through this time in faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And what we get here in Hebrews chapter 6 is, is that God is faithful. And he will look upon your work, upon your heart, and your faith. And when he sees that you endure to the end, and you may be crawling at the end, 
he will see that. He will fulfill his promise to you. He will surely do it. And you will enter into heaven. You will enter into this final rest. And your sanctification process will be complete. And you will be free from sin. Perfect. And you're free to rejoice in the name of Christ. What a wonderful way to end your life here on earth. To be in the presence of our Lord. So... The big idea for tonight, the big idea for this message is to remain faithful. To remain faithful confidently because God is faithful. And to remain faithful courageously because God is gracious. And God is faithful in in the sense that he will complete his work in you. And God is gracious. And the grace of God has mediated through prayer, through fellowship, and through his word. And we have this confidence. We have this confidence because we have Christ. Christ who went to the cross for us. Christ who died for us so that we can live. We have a full assurance. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because Jesus rose again on the third day. His sacrifice on the cross is fully effective to keep us until the end. And there may be some of you during this time where your faith has been tried and it's been difficult and and you may come to realize that maybe you aren't a Christian. Maybe you aren't a true believer and and your faith was tested in this way and revealed to you in this way. And, And I want to encourage you that this revelation, if that's you, that that's by the grace of God, that that. That is, that's a spirit working your heart to show you what you need to do. And if so that's you, I encourage you to come to know Jesus. Come to know the Christ who died for your sins and paid it all with his blood. Come to know that Jesus forgives you. Come to know that God is faithful. And when you confess your sins to him, in 1 John chapter 1, it says he will forgive you. Let these truths that you heard tonight be your anchor and your hope. Come to Christ. And so this concludes then our study in 1 Thessalonians. And and if you want, I encourage you to read through the entire book of 1 Thessalonians again. Uh, It's it's not that long of a book. And I encourage you to read through it again with this central theme in mind, to remain faithful. And see how Paul encourages these Thessalonians to remain faithful. And in closing then, I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Knowing that this world around you will continue to distract you. Will continue to try to throw you off your game. To to try to, to take away your eyes from Christ. Remain faithful by keeping your eyes on Christ to the end. Set your heart upon heavenly treasures. Keep your eyes on the cross. And in the end, you will experience eternal joy and peace. That's a promise from our God, the God of peace, for he is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your good word that continues to encourage us and continues to assure us your deep love for your church. Thank you, Lord, for for caring for us, for being with us every step of the way,
that no matter what situation we're in, you are there with us. What a great promise. And so, Lord, I pray then for the church. I pray for this group that's here with us tonight. I pray that for each one of them, that they will remain faithful in your name. That, Lord, they will continue then to, to remain faithful confidently and courageously by trusting in you, by praying, by fellowshipping with one another, by being in your word. I pray, Lord, that they will come to know your grace and come to know Christ as their heavenly treasure. And I pray, Lord, that whatever struggles they may be going through right now, that they'll be reminded of just how good you are to them, and they'll be encouraged to face their trials by your grace alone. So, so Lord, I, I pray that you would then be with them, protect them, watch over them, and that your sanctifying work upon their souls will be indeed complete in the end. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray, God, that you would then be with us in our discussion, that, Lord, it will be a, a fruitful discussion, time where we can gather together and fellowship with one another. And I pray, Lord, that, um, yeah, it will, during this time, you will just be, it will just be an encouraging time. May all glory go to your name. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.